find ourselves um, in Mark chapter 6, starting at about verse 30. But before we do that, we, I just quickly want to remind us of, of where Jesus and the disciples were. Last week, we kind of had an interlude as we, as we talked about John the Baptist and what was going on with him and his, his martyrdom. Um, but just previous to that, we'd seen Jesus send his disciples out. He'd sent them um, out into the mission field, right? And we heard that they do some incredible things and preaching the gospel, uh, preaching about repentance, um, that God had used them to cast out demons and to heal of the sick. And now the disciples, they, they return to Jesus, and that's where our story uh, picks up this morning in verse 30. So let's look there now. The apostles uh, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For, for many were coming and were going, and, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and, and they said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside of villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we uh, come to you uh, this morning as needy people. Oh, Father, we could give you long lists this morning of all the things that we want you to do in our lives. We are needy people. Would you help us through our time this morning to see how misplaced so often our needs are? And Father, help remind us even today of how you have given us everything that we need in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, uh, some, some years ago, a couple of years ago, I remember seeing an article um, that kind of made its rounds about this family who they were planning, this mother and father, they were planning a, a nice wedding for their daughter. Uh, spent something like 35 grand on it in preparation, quite a bit of money to put down, for sure. And they were excited about it, but then just five days out from the wedding, the groom cancels. Um, they were suddenly um, stuck into a whirlwind. What do you do? And, and come to find out, you know, they could get very little of that money back um, and actually still owed money and they, people weren't going to let them out of stuff because it was such late notice. And, and so their, their minds began to think, what are we going to do? And so the, 
They figured it out, and they started making some calls, and they, they called some local agencies that, that work with the needy, that work in particular with the homeless, and they said, we're going to throw a banquet. Can you bring, is, is there some folks that you could bring um, that you work with? And so instead of a wedding banquet for their daughter that day, they had a banquet uh, for the homeless people in their area. An extravagant banquet at a, a swanky hotel with great fancy appetizers and good food and pretty incredible little story, isn't it? And one that, you know, there was no, there wasn't any indications that the family were believers um, in the article I read. Um, but yet at the same time, what a biblical thing to do in a way. Uh, to throw a banquet for the needy. In our, in our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus throw a banquet. He's going to see him throw a banquet for needy, needy people. Now, of course, we're going to immediately just think that, oh, that's the crowds, but I hope you'll see as we go through that the disciples in this passage are, are just as needy as are the crowds. And Jesus is going to throw a banquet for them, but understand, too, the banquet isn't all about food. Uh, Jesus has something much greater to give the crowds and the disciples than just the food that gets uh, multiplied on that day. So let's dive in. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and they told him all that they had, had done and taught. They, they come to Jesus and they're excited to tell him all the stories, right? The incredible ways that, that God had worked through them as they went out on their mission. And they come to him excitedly telling him, and, and then what does he say to them? He says, come away. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure to eat. Jesus looks at his disciples and he sees that they have a desperate need for rest. They're very needy at that moment. They've come back. They're exhausted. They've had no time for rest. And as we know, rest is kind of important for us, isn't it? We were made as, as creatures who need rest, right? We rest every single night. And not only that, the creation itself was made with this rhythm of resting one day um, in seven. Rest is important. Jesus saw that that rest was important for his disciples. So he said, come, let's go away. Let's go away to a desolate place, a wilderness place. And this isn't the first time we've seen desolate wilderness places in Mark. Jesus finds himself there um, in the time of the temptation, right? But we also see Jesus go there actually for rest, to go rest in, in the arms of his heavenly Father and spend time with him. He does that in the desolate places. And so he takes his disciples and they're going to go retreat and they're going to go to a desolate place so they can find rest that they need. And of course, we see in our passage, there's some folks who got there ahead of them, right? The crowds, they follow. They're, they're quicker on land than the disciples and Jesus can be uh, by the sea. And you must think, I mean, for the disciples, their hopes must have been dashed. You know, they were, they're looking forward. They, the passage said they didn't even have really the opportunity to eat because people kept coming. And they're looking forward to getting to the other side, and they get there, and the crowds are all there. While the disciples may have been a little disappointed, do you see how Jesus responds to them in verse 34? He, he, he went ashore, and he saw the crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, Jesus sees the crowds, and he doesn't go into a pity party that he's not getting rest either, right? He's not worried about his own concerns. He immediately has compassion on them. Now, 
just as I was thinking about this, in fact, this morning and just kind of wrestling through this passage this morning, I was reminded of just this past week, I was sitting there actually preparing and studying for the sermon. And Adrian, my wife, she, she comes up and she sits down and she wanted to have a conversation. And it was about something relatively important and helpful and very good, in fact, that we talk about as a family. And, and, and I found myself a little... Oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing this, and, and now i got to change gears to, to talk to you about something that's really important, but my, my heart was thinking about myself, and so often we can be like that, can't we? How often do you and I, I struggle to have love and, and, and compassion when we're presented with opportunities, whether it be our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors, um, whoever it may be, we're, we're constantly presented with, with opportunities to show compassion, to in fact to shepherd other people and encourage them and encourage their souls, and, and so often we don't, or maybe we end up doing it, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm going to power through this because we have this sense of obligation that we need to love these other people well, right? So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to, you know, I, I can do this, and that's not even what we see with Jesus, do we? He's not doing it out of a sense of obligation. He's, he, he stops for these people, these sheep without a shepherd, because he has great compassion and, and a deep and abiding love for them, for these sheep without a shepherd. And how is it that they are shepherdless? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. The, the religious leaders, we've already seen them in the Gospel of Mark, and they aren't very good shepherds to the people. They seem very consumed with themselves, and then when they see Jesus, they begin to plot. They, they see the Messiah, and they begin to plot against him. These people are without shepherds. Uh, another person we just saw last week, Herod, who should have been somewhat of a shepherd to them and caring for them, was only consumed with himself, as we saw last week. Right? Israel, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this, and in fact, this had been going on at this point for hundreds of years. What did Ezekiel say as he, as he talked about the failure of the shepherds of Israel? In Ezekiel 34, he says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. This is Ezekiel speaking very boldly against these false shepherds of Israel who are not really shepherding their sheep. But then God makes an incredible promise. In verse 22, this is what he says of Ezekiel. He says, I, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken to you. Do, do you see what's going on here? This is the promise of Jesus. The promise of the good shepherd who's going to, to come to shepherd these people who are sheep without a shepherd. And that one who's going to sit on the throne of David forever, that son of David, comes to shepherd his sheep. And we see it right here in this passage. That moment has arrived. And, and in it, we begin to see what a real and a good shepherd looks like. One who has compassion 
for his sheep, who truly cares for them, who, who cares for these needy sheep who are constantly needing stuff. And he cares for them and gives them precisely what they need. And, and in our passage, we, we see two needy groups. The disciples are needy. They're needy of, of, of sleep. And as we're going to see, they're actually needy of, of faith and, and real trust in Jesus. The, the crowds are, are needy because they, they have no shepherd. They're going to be needy because they, they need food. And as I read this passage, I, I can't help but think of Psalm 23. Most of us probably know it, those words, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I, I can't help but believe that Mark must have Psalm 23 in his mind even as he's writing this. We're going to see in just a little, in verse 39, where do the people sit down? They sit down in the green grass. The next story is going to be a water story. <laughs> as he talks about Jesus being the shepherd to the shepherdless sheep. And the what does the psalmist tell us? The, the psalmist tells us that because the Lord is our shepherd, what? We shall not want. We shall not want. Now, there's a great problem here, right? <laughs> because, I mean, the disciples in this passage, they, they, they want. There's these needs that they have, right? That aren't being met. The, the people, they have all of these needs that, that they're in want, right? And if we think about ourselves, we are needy people who seem to be constantly in want. There's constantly seems to be all these other things that we need, right? We're, we're never quite satisfied. We can never really trust in the provision of the shepherd, can we? We always want more. We always think we need more. I'm, I've been reminded of that um, just recently. You know, we, we, as you know, We've been looking for a place to worship as a church, right? We've been looking for, for quite some time, and um, quite early on, God, God, in fact, provided for us a place to make sure that we would not be homeless, so that we would have a place to worship, but it wasn't on Sunday morning, right? And so we weren't, I wasn't satisfied with that, right? I, I couldn't rest in that, like, we, we need more, I, I want more. And there's a sense of where that's healthy, right? We ideally want to worship on Sunday morning. And so then, what does God do? God provides for us a place as He has so wonderfully and so mercifully for us to be able to gather together to worship on Sunday mornings, right? And the committee and the session are all in agreement, and we're, we have a place in two weeks to worship on Sunday morning. But am I satisfied? No. P Peter's over there shaking my head because he knows how many times, it's like every time we have a conversation, I'm wondering, well, so maybe there's some way that we can get a little more. You know, that we can have more use of the facilities or we can, this or that, we need. The... It's like, I, I can't be satisfied. The, the great shepherd, the good shepherd has provided for us. And I can't rest in it. It's not enough for me. There, and, and what we, and you see, I hope you understand the, the problem is not the shepherd's provision for us, for me. The problem is in me. And when you and I, when we find ourselves constantly in want and constantly needy people, it's because there's something broken in us. Because we're, we're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. And yet the good shepherd, Jesus, he, he comes to us to give us what we really need and, and yet we 
We get distracted by all the other things that we think we need to. And we're just not satisfied. I'm reminded of those words of of C.S. Lewis. He, He says it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition with infinite, when infinite joy is offered us. Infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to be by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. We're like little kids in the backyard making mud pies and perfectly happy and content there and, and wanting more mud pies, <laughs> wanting more water, maybe a few toys to play with whenever what's being offered to us is something so much greater. Time down at the ocean to see the wonder, and yet we're so easily satisfied. I'm far too easily pleased with something like the right building, right? <laughs> you know, the right building with all the right... And yet the shepherd is wanting to give me, is wanting to give us so much more. His his desire is to give us himself. Yes, he's provided for us a place to worship on Sunday mornings. But he wants to give to us so much more. Stuff that's so much more important than that building. He comes to give us himself as our good shepherd. Jesus, I believe, is teaching people like us who are in want, who are needy people, and he's trying to point them to the only source. He's trying to point them ultimately to himself. And you see how he does that, right? Let's look at verse 34. Um, So the crowd is all there. He sees the sheep without the shepherd. So what does he do? He began to teach them many things. In some ways, that's surprising. If you and I were to look at the crowds, what we think, we think, oh, well, there, there's some, you know, some need a doctor, you know, some need a therapist, maybe some need a financial advisor, some of them probably just need a real stern talking to, you know, to set them straight, and we could go on, but Jesus, Jesus sees something much deeper in them that they need. He sees what they need most of all, so he begins to to teach them many things. He sees their greatest need, our greatest need, to be fed by his word. You remember what he says to Satan when he was being tempted? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what we need is his word. We need Jesus himself. Blaise Pascal put it this way, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the human heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God and the creator made known through Jesus Christ. The only thing that can fit there is Jesus, but what do we do? We stuff everything else in. We look to all sorts of other things for our satisfactions and we we think we need all of these other things. And yet Jesus is the only thing that will fit there. And so Jesus goes to this ragtag crowd of people without a shepherd. And he sees that they desperately need to hear the good news that the Messiah has come. And he tells them the good news of the gospel 
no doubt, calling them to repentance, calling them to turn from their sins and to turn towards their great God. Their greatest need is the gospel. Their greatest need was actually standing right there in front of them, their Messiah. I love the way that D.A. Carson puts it. He, he, he says this. He says, if, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he'd perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us his Savior. And that's what Jesus sees as he sees these people, these sheep without a shepherd. He sees their desperate need for him, for the Messiah, for the Savior. What do you see as your greatest need? Really? Do you honestly believe that hearing, knowing, and believing the gospel is your greatest need? Or do you really believe that it's all those other things in life? You know your lists, right? The things that, you, that we think we need. If, and if you're like me, so often we turn to these things instead of to Jesus. That's why what we do here on Sunday mornings is so important. Okay? And it's not something to be neglected. And it's not because Peter or I would not, not because we're God's gift to preaching, okay? But it's because we all, all of us, need to sit under the preaching of the Word. We need to sit under the Word in, in community together. We, we need to gather again each and every Sunday to be reminded of our need, not for all the stuff in this world, but our need for Him. And to confess our sins and to turn to Jesus, to turn to the Savior of our souls. One of the things I love about our church is that every other week I get to sit under the preaching just like you do. I need that. Not that preaching doesn't do an incredible work on, on us, but I need to sit under it in the same way that you do. So, Jesus offers this incredible act of compassion, giving them his word. Okay? He comes to them as the good shepherd. But there's another great act of compassion in the story, right? And we haven't even gotten there, and we're, you're probably wondering, like, you know, how much time do we really have? And we haven't even gotten to the, this is the feeding of the 5,000. We haven't even talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And in some ways, that's intentional. What I want for just a moment is as we just think about the feeding of the 5,000, Let's just think about it through the eyes of it as a, an act of compassion towards the needy disciples. See, we get it as, as you know, there's this needy crowd and they're hungry. And, and God needs to, and Jesus needs to feed them, right? We, we get that picture. What I want us to see is that the disciples are incredibly needy in this story. Incredibly needy. As, as they're struggling to trust and to know who this is that they're, 
that has been ministering to them and discipling them to truly understand who he is. As we see throughout the book of Mark, we, we see the disciples' discipleship process. As they're growing to come more and more into understanding of who Jesus is. And, and so in some ways, this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 is for the disciples. <laughs> to help them to trust in the good shepherd. And to show them what a good shepherd really looks like. Because they need that model in front of them. Let, let, let's just look. Look at verse 35. I mean, it had grown late, and his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, the hour is late. They're saying, Jesus, come on, we need to wrap this up, you've been talking long enough. We're, you remember, we needed rest, and we're kind of getting hungry too, um, and we got a major problem. There's 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children, there's a lot of people here. Um, everybody's hungry, the hour's late, what are you going to do? Remember, you promised us that rest, when are we going to get that? And they come up with a great plan, don't they? Verse 36. They say, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. We've come up with a, a great plan, Jesus. It's a win-win. We get our rest. They'll get their food. Everybody comes out on top. But Jesus has great compassion, doesn't he? What does he say? Verse 37. He says, you, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus gives to the disciples an impossible task, if it weren't for the fact that they were with Jesus, of course. And the disciples being practically minded, what do they say? They say, you realize if we buy food for them, that's going to be like, you know, almost like a year's, one of our, a year's wage almost. Like, that's a lot, Jesus. And so they begin to look around at Jesus' instruction. They, they find that they have five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, that's going to go a long way for 5,000 people plus women and children, right? And so the disciples, they find themselves in this place of want, not just of, uh, of need of rest, but of trusting God, trusting Jesus for his provision in the midst of the situation. And in a sense, maybe they should have known better. You remember how Jesus had sent them out? When he sent them out on mission in verse 8, what did he do? He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no money. And no doubt whenever they came back at the beginning of our story and they were telling Jesus everything that happened, no doubt part of that was the, the way in which they had been provided for. The way in which they'd feasted while they were out on the mission field. And now they find themselves at this moment and they're like, too much for them to believe that God could possibly provide on that large of a scale. A little scale, yeah, maybe. And so what does Jesus do? He does a profound miracle found in all four Gospels. It's unique in that way. And verse 41, taking the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and Set before the people, he divided the two fish among them. And then, and then that incredible verse, verse 42. And they all, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. 
I can't help but think, I mean, the disciples are counted, I think, among that number who ate and were satisfied. They suddenly, I think, maybe just maybe, maybe just another little step, found a different kind of rest than that which they thought they needed. And they found rest in the good shepherd who provides for his sheep. They all ate and were satisfied. And so I think Jesus, he's teaching the disciples some very important things in the story. One of them that we shouldn't miss is about a priorities in ministry. Okay? The, the disciples, as I said, they were very practically minded, right? But the good shepherd was teaching them to err on the side of compassion. He was teaching them to err on the side of, of extravagant love. He, he, he throws a banquet for the needy crowds, a wedding banquet, if you will, like our initial story. It seems very impractical. It's not necessary, right? He could have just sent them off. But he gives them not just his verbal word, but he lavishes them with a banquet. He lavishes them with compassion. We as a church shouldn't be a church that's just concerned with always making decisions on that which is practical. Um, we must, if we ever err, we should err on the side of compassion, on trying to be a church that truly shepherds its people. We must have hearts of compassion. We need that as a church, and then we need to have this in our own individual lives, right? That we would be like the good shepherd in a way, because he is so abundantly given to us that we, we've been shown such incredible compassion that we would so willingly give that compassion to others and lavish it upon others, throwing our own wedding banquet for the homeless, if you will. He's also, though, teaching his disciples about their need, the need for shepherding, right? That the sheep need shepherding. You remember Jesus' interaction with Peter um, before his ascension, right? After, after Peter had denied him three times, Jesus goes and he asks him three times, do you love me? And each time Peter's like, of course, you, you know I do. I, you know, like, stop asking and... Each time Jesus gives a response, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This shepherding thing, it's really important. And Jesus is demonstrating it to his disciples so that they can see how important shepherding really is, how important it is to care for, for other souls. And we must be a, a church and a people who shepherd and shepherd well. That's why this past fall we, we kicked off a shepherding ministry, right? To, to begin to care for this church in that way. To spiritually care for everybody. But, but it's not just the elders here that are called to shepherd in our life. We're all called to shepherding in a way. 
We all have people in our lives that we need to be shepherds in a sense to, to care for with great compassion, to share the word with, to feed, not just physically, but to, to feed with the word of God and sharing and reminding them of the good news of the gospel. We have families that we need to do that with, friends, co-workers, neighbors. So, we certainly need to understand the priority and get the priorities right in ministry and the, the priority of shepherding and, we, and that great need for it. But for us here too, you and I, we all, and what he's teaching the disciples is they need to trust the shepherd. We need to learn to trust the shepherd. And we see that incredible verse, verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Now, there's all sorts of things. We could talk about these 12 and, you know, how they're, they're 12 patriarchs and, and, and 12 tribes and, and, and tw now 12 disciples and 12 apostles and the importance of this number 12. But these disciples who were struggling to believe that this could be provided were looking at Jesus like, you're You're crazy. What are you talking about feed these people? Now there's a basket overflowing for each of them to hold in their hands. The great shepherd provided for them. I'm reminded of, of Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Jesus was teaching his disciples as he's teaching us to trust the shepherd. This morning, you and I, we've come face to face with the shepherd, the one who promises that if he is our shepherd, we shall not want. And yet we've also seen the difficulty that you and I have in trusting that good shepherd, don't we? And his good plan for his sheep. Do you believe that Jesus really is the good shepherd? Do you believe that he is work at work satisfying all of your needs? That you can trust him and in trusting him you shall not want just as he satisfied the, the needs of the crowd that day, Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient for you. Does that mean everything's going to be easy? And then we're not going to really have hard days? And then we're not going to struggle? No. But we must learn. And it's a process, and that's why we need to come back each week, right? That's why we need to constantly be in the Word and sit under the Word. It's because we must learn to trust him, to trust the good shepherd. Do you believe and know that you have a shepherd who is pursuing you? If you do, if you believe and you know in the good shepherd, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. It's a little different than we usually do in the midst of a sermon, okay? Just a moment, Psalm 23 is going to come up on the screen. Can we say it together? 
Will you say it with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, oh, how thankful we are to be able to come before you. We're able to come before you and confess all the different things that we think we need more than you. Oh, would you help us? Would you help us to trust, to learn to trust the Good Shepherd? Father, as we go um, out from here and into the rest of this week, would you help us to truly trust the Good Shepherd? That we would truly believe those words the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How would you convince our hearts? Because we, <laughs> we're so easy, so easy to add all sorts of things that we think we need and want. Help us to know that you have given us all, all that we need in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen.